The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. The book of Joshua this semester, Joshua 1 through 10. But today, we're going to look at Acts 12. <laughs> and I am going to do that because that's how God gave it to me this summer. But I'd like for you to look, first of all, at Deuteronomy 1. So are you thoroughly confused? This is a little bit like, who was it? Susan said she was from Mississippi, Ohio, Kentucky. And this is a little bit. Um, so I'd like you to look at Deuteronomy 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Sah between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horab by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. How long was the journey? How long? 11 days. And, and when did Moses speak to the children? The first day of the 40th year. So the journey that should have taken 11 days took how long? 40 years. Okay, this is to give you a little background on why we've chosen the theme for this year, I have begun to give, begin to possess. So they're in Deuteronomy here, and this journey through the wilderness should have taken 11 days, and it took 40 years. Go down to verse 5. On this side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain the Lord law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horab, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, and in the lowlands, and in the south, and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, and as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and do what? What did it say? Possess it. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and their descendants after them. Look at verse 21. And the look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. It is, and then let's look over um, in verse uh, 25. They, they sent in spies to look at this good land. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and they brought it down to Moses and brought back word saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving to us. So that we see the first part of Deuteronomy and what had happened originally, the trip that should have taken 11 days took 40 years and God shows us why it took 40 years. What happens over here in verse 26? The Israelites rose up and went in and possessed the land with great joy and abandon and surrender and devotion to God. Is that what yours says? Oh, you know, is that? And who told them that he would be with them when they went in to possess the land? God. And we, the response of the people is what? 
Nevertheless, you would not go up. God says, go in. You don't have to live on this side of the Jordan. The best is yet to come. It goes from Euphrates River all the way up to Lebanon. You don't have to worry. I have so much for you. Don't stop here. You've just gotten out of Egypt. The best is yet to come. Persevere on. And he said, if you don't believe me, send spies in and look at how good I've got the land is. Don't stay here. Go on in. They sent spies in. They came back with the vision and said, yes, it's just as good as God said. And instead of rallying and obeying God, what did they do? Nevertheless, they would not go up, but they rebelled. And they complained before their kitchen sinks. And they said, because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt, and he has brought us into this hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brothers have discouraged our hearts, and the people are greater and taller than we are. The cities are greater and more fortified. They go up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim. And the Lord said, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. The Lord who goes before you, he will fight for you, just like he did in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you would not believe the Lord who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and the cloud by day. Now you say, Beth, what does this have to do with me? There's some of us that are in Wilmore and you think, I'm starting a new year in Wilmore and I, it's just going to be the same as it's always been. And God says, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be. And there's some of you that say, I sure do wish I was not back in Egypt, but I was back in Ohio or Palau <laughs> or, or Zaire. I wish I was someplace other than I am, but my husband got this funny call of God, and here I am washing dishes in this little two-by-four duplex, and I don't like it one single bit. And we have a choice today. We can do the same thing that Israel did in the circumstances in which we find ourselves, whether we've been here two years or six years, or it looks like we've been here 19 years, like Jim Winslow and myself, where we can just be here and we can go on in and possess the land in new dimensions in 1995 and ask God to give us a vision for who he is and what he wants to do in our lives, our families, our circumstances, and in our outreach and ministry for God. So I was reading this this summer. And Jesus said to me, Bethy, that's you. Can you believe me for new things in your life? I have begun to give Deuteronomy 2.31, and in chapter 2 it says, You have compassed this mountain long enough. Arise and go northward. And do you know what? In accompanying this passage of Scripture, he also gave me Acts 12. Why is it that we as the people of God do not claim the promises of God and go in and possess the land that God has given to us? Why do we live in defeat? Why do we live with addictions in our life still? Why do we still battle the same sin problems that we've battled for a hundred years? Why do we not know a freedom and an intimacy with Jesus Christ? 
And some of us have been saved. Some of us have been filled with the Spirit. Some of us have not, and that's what we need God to do in our lives. But some of us have backed up in God, and we say, I used to remember how He worked in my life, but it's been a long time. And I think Jesus wants to set us free. Because do you know what the whole purpose of Bible study is? It is to get to know Jesus Christ with an intimacy. Not to know about him, not to know about the word, but to know the person of Jesus Christ through his word. And so that his presence and power by his Holy Spirit can transform you and I. So you know what begins to come out of your heart and my heart? Holiness of life. So that he begins to change your actions and my actions, your reactions and my reactions, your thought life and my thought life, the way you and I live. And his character begins to be my character and it begins to be your character. And the people who look at us begin to see Jesus. That's what Bible study is all about. Turn over now in Acts 12. The one good thing about sharing from your heart as a woman, you can just share where Jesus leads you. <laughs> and this is where he led me, and I've been living in it all summer. Okay, what do we find in Acts 12? And maybe you and I can find ourselves here, but the good news is Jesus can set free, just like that hymn sang, the hymn was this morning. Okay, what do we find here? Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with his sword. And because he saw he pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison. He delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him out before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side. And he raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him. And he did not know where he, what was done by the angel, that it was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guards, they came to the iron gates that lead to the city which opened to them of their own accord. And they went out, and they went down one street, and immediately the angel departed. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel, and he has delivered me from the, from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jews intended. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many people were gathered praying. And as Peter knocked at the door, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. But when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate, but came in and announced and said, Peter stands before the gate. But they said to her, you are out of your mind. 
And yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said it must be his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how God had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed to another place. As soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, and he examined the guards and commanded that they be put to death, and then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And then the people venerated him as God. And in verse 23, we pick up the text. It says, immediately of the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not glorify God. He was eaten of worms and he died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you today that you might come and in these next few minutes, your Holy Spirit might quicken the word to our hearts. I ask Jesus that you might come yourself and just teach the word to us, just as you did on the road to Emmaus, to those two disciples, Lord Jesus, after the resurrection. Open the word to our souls, that when we leave here, we will know we have been with you. Father, feed us. Feed every woman her ear today in a way that they've never known before, just because of your presence and the living reality of your word. And Father, I pray you make us look honest today, gut level honest, that the Holy Spirit would come and you would break through our pretense, through our lies, through where we think we are, to the reality of where we really are. And that angel even today would go heart to heart, life to life, showing us where we need to be set free and that you might begin in me. This passage I've been living with all summer and it's meant a great deal in my heart. And I just wish I had words to share what it has meant in my life. So I'm just asking the Holy Spirit that he would quicken it to your heart the way he's quickened it to my heart all summer because it has been a tremendous freeing passage to me personally. What happens is after the Lord began to show the first part of Deuteronomy and Joshua said, Beth, I have begun to give, begin to possess. There is so much more I want to do for you personally that I want to do in your home, in your marriage, in your family, in your life. There's so much more that I want to do for you. Would you begin to make yourself available to me in new dimensions that God began to show me this passage? And that many times I think you and I begin to make steps toward God, that God has worked in our lives and we have begun to live for him. And many of us have left everything, houses and lands and bank accounts, family members, countries, and come to Wilmore. And we find ourselves here and we be, we've, we've, we've left all to follow Jesus. But as we're here, it, the enemy seems to come in and harass us. And that's just what we find here in the Word. And it's so typical. In the first 11 chapters of Acts, what do we have in Acts 2? Revival comes. Peter, who, could, who denied Jesus at the end of the Gospels, and then he, Pentecost comes, the Spirit fills him, and what happens? He preaches, and 3,000 people are added to the church. He becomes a key leader in the revival movement. 5,000 more are added. The, the, the lame are healed. God begins to use them mightily in the healing of people. 
there's a tremendous movement among the church. Remember the vision he had and the spirit was going out to the Gentiles. And he go, went to the Jerusalem council and said, no, God's met me in a vision. And the Gentiles have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And God has come to the Gentiles. This good news is for all the world. And, it's, and then Paul was converted, the arch enemy of the church. And he has that Damascus Road experience. And God takes the arch enemy of the church and begins to make him and train him to be the preacher of the hour and the theologian for the generations to come. So you're in the middle of tremendous work of God and tremendous revival. And then old Slewfoot shows up. And the word puts it in terms of harassment. Because Slewfoot doesn't come and tempt us sometimes on points of immorality. If that's it, he will tempt us on other things such as busyness, thought life, discouragement, complaining in front of our kitchen sink. Like, why do I have to be here? Why do we have more month than money? I'm so tired of it. Why aren't the kids adjusting in school? Why is he in the library all the time? Doesn't he know this is a hard adjustment? Why, why, why? Have you ever done that? I have. In fact, I've got scripture over my sink now. <laughs> and I've got a sign that says, I have begun to give, begin to possess over my kitchen sink. Because that is not not where Jesus meets us? And isn't that interesting in Deuteronomy? He said it compl they complained in their tents. And they didn't go through with God. They just complained and blamed it on other people. And just saw the giants and didn't see the mighty, powerful Jesus who could move in. So the church was caught off guard. We've had one martyr, Stephen. And then before they know it, all Herod surfaces and James is dead. Now, I've walked with God long enough, and some of you have too, that some of the people that you started out with at Asbury College that were great, loved Jesus with a passion, are no longer walking with God. And they are as lost as someone who grew up in the Bowery of New York City and never heard of him. And so James is gone. And Herod takes Peter, and before Peter knows it, this man that's being instrumental in the whole revival movement, and he finds himself seized, in, arrested, imprisoned, and delivered to four squadrons of soldiers. And you say, oh, Beth, that couldn't happen to me. But oh, yes, it can. If you and I are not on our guard, we can find ourselves very easily in prison, seized by the evil one, arrested, harassed and imprisoned with four squadrons of soldiers. You may be there today. Or someone you love may be there, not even in Wilmore. Well, I have the best news for you. This situation is absolutely impossible. There is no way for the church to get Peter out by stealth. There's no way for them to get him out by force. There is no way to get Peter out of that prison. Herod has done a good job. He is in the middle of that prison, and there's no way to get him out. Now, what happens? There's a key, the first key to beginning to possess what God has given you and I is found in verse 5. Can anyone see it? Prayer. Say it real loud. 
prayer. What kind of prayer? Earnest. Mine says constant. Does this mean prayer before we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Is this now I lay me before we go to sleep at night with the kids? What kind of prayer is this? Earnest, constant prayer. The key for deliverance for Peter is what? The key for deliverance in your life and in my life is prayer. Now, in this case, someone is interceding for Peter. Now, the beautiful thing that I love about this passage and I can identify with, was it expectant prayer that the people were praying at Mary's house? No, <laughs> it was constant. It was fervent, but it was not expectant. Because when Peter showed up, they just couldn't believe it. They were just astounded. It just blew their minds. They said, you're out of your mind, Rhoda. She said, no, I know it's Peter. It must be his angel. There's to be another reason God couldn't have answered prayer. But God did. So the situation is absolutely impossible. And then there's an intervention, constant prayer. And then we see God's supernatural deliverance at the last minute. God always works, but he's very pokey sometimes he moves in at the last minute I don't mean that to be disrespectful but the last minute we see supernatural de deliverance and it's when the supernatural enters into your world and my world and the supernatural enters in here and it enters in in the form of an angel now what struck me too about this passage this summer is how did the angel treat Peter? I thought it was a very unangel-like way. He whacks him. And what is Peter's condition? He's sound asleep. Now, they had either brutalized him pretty badly, and he was sleeping because he was just unconscious, or else he had the peace of God and he just was sleeping. Now, what happens often in my life, though, is I am asleep, but it's a sleep kind of anesthetizing that the enemy puts on me to different things in my life that God needs to heal. And as prayer is made in my life for me, by, by me, by others for me, the Holy Spirit is able to send that angel to say, wait a minute, Beth, you're asleep in some of these areas and the angel just strikes us and says, this needs to change. You can be set free here. You don't have to sit in this prison any longer in this area of your life. I can set you free. You don't have to be bound by your fears, by your insecurity. You don't have to be bound by sin. You don't have to be bound by you can, your past. I can set you free. But many times we do not know it until there's constant prayer made so that we can begin to see where we actually are or we can begin to see where those we love actually are. So um, the light shines in the cell and he hits him and says, Peter, get up. Then what does he do? He says, Peter, arise. Put, gird yourself, put on your sandals, put on your garment, and follow me. And it's not just, God doesn't just deliver us. We have to work in tandem with God. This weekend, we were on a retreat in Indiana. It was a precious retreat. 
And a young um, a mother about my age, a woman about my age, came up to me afterward, and she said, oh, she said, do you remember me? And I didn't. And she said, I just am so excited to see you again. She said, remember when we prayed November 11th, 1991, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? I said, no. She said, guess what? God spoke to me and he set me free. And she said at that point he was speaking to me about cigarettes. I had just been saved. And he said, let me have those cigarettes, Angie. And she said, so I just prayed and we prayed together. And God began to help me to say no to him. And she said, three people in my family died. And my daughter was in an awful car accident. And God helped me. I began to break when my grandfather died, who I loved deeply. And one day I just ran to Jesus and I said, Jesus, if you don't come in with deliverance for me, I'm going to eat a pack of cigarettes, let alone smoke them. I'm about to die. You've got to meet me. And she said, as I threw myself on Jesus, he met me. And she said, I haven't touched one since. But she said... As he's helped me obey there, do you know what? He's setting me free in other areas, just like he did with Peter. Go by one guard and the next guard and the next guard. She said my daughter was in a horrible accident. Two or three people were killed in the car. And we went to the hospital. I went to the hospital and I said, Lord, prepare me if she's alive or dead. And I said, prepare me for whatever waits me there. She said, I didn't have nearly as much trouble with my daughter dying because she had found Jesus as I did with my husband there with his girlfriend, my ex-husband. And she said, I ran to Jesus again and I said, God, I claim your forgiveness. I claim your blood. I claim your help. Carry this pain for me. Carry this pain for me. And she said, Bethy did. And she said, there have been walls in my life with my daughter. I had never been there when she was growing up. I'd been wild and woolly. There'd always been walls. And I always lived in guilt because I'd failed her. And she said, as she lay in that hospital room and I sat there day after day, I saw Jesus break down wall after wall after wall after wall. She said, God is leading me out of Acts 12 and the iron gates are yielding. And it started with one point of obedience. And something that was on the scale of one to a hundred, something you started with was just cigarettes. And that's not where the action is. That's an aside. Where the action is, are you willing and am I willing to walk in obedience to the light that Jesus gives us? And are we saying, oh, Holy Spirit, send your angel to show me where I really am and where I need to be set free? And Angie said, Jesus is setting me free. Is he setting you free? As you and I start a new year, some of you a new life in Wilmore, some of us just picking up the old life, can we come with a newness to the Father and say, Father, let me walk in obedience to you because one obedience leads to another obedience that leads to another obedience that ultimately opens those iron gates and you and I begin to walk in a newness of life that we never dreamed possible. Isn't that precious?
So the Iron Gate shield, there's the crisis, and then there's the process of God leading him out. There's the crisis in your life and in my life. Do you know what holiness of heart is? Holiness of heart is loving Jesus Christ, all your heart, mind, soul, and body. And I've got a quote to read you from Mother Teresa. Listen to this. A few years ago, a brother came to Mother Teresa about a superior whose rules he felt were interfering with his ministry. My vocation is to work for lepers, he told Mother Teresa. I want to spend myself on behalf of lepers. She smiled at him a moment and then said, Brother, your vocation is not to work for lepers. Your vocation is to belong to Jesus. And then Colson goes on and says, Holiness is much more than a set of rules. Holiness must be seen as the opposite of sin in your life and my life. Holiness is conformity to the character of God and obedience to the will of God. Conforming to the character of God, separating ourselves from sin, and cleaving to Jesus is the essence of biblical holiness. You know what we have the opportunity today to do? We can take all the hurts and pains in our life and we can ask God to shine his Holy Spirit into our heart. And then we can ask him to say, Lord, I just want to give you not only my heart, but all of me. And I want to begin to walk in gut level, honest integrity with you so that I can begin to know what it means for the iron gates to yield in my life and you to set me free 150%. Now that's one side of this passage. The other side is you and I may know some today who are as bound in prison as Peter was. And could Peter have gotten out without the intercession of that little group of believers who really didn't have it all together? Doesn't that give you hope? They're surprised as you and I are when God answers prayer. But they still prayed. And even if situations are absolutely impossible in your life or your loved one's life, your family's life, in your marriage, in your home, I have good news absolutely nothing is too difficult for the Lord Jesus if you and I will really, really, really get serious about prayer and begin to pray and hold on for difficult circumstances, for the salvation of lost ones, for the conversion, for those to be set free, that Jesus would begin to help us to pray. And this year we're asking that God would blanket our hearts with a spirit of intercession for ourselves, for the world, and for our families and loved ones, that God would be able to do what he longs to do in every one of our lives. And it can only come when we begin to give ourselves to prayer, corporately, singly, together, day and night. And do you know what this reminds me of? Someone gave me this just a couple weeks ago. Remember in 331 B.C., 300 years after Jesus went to heaven, there was a little mother, and she had a handsome young son, but a non-Christian husband, totally pagan husband. 
And the son got into his teenage years, and the mother prayed and had worked with him, but he got into his teenage years, and if he didn't follow that pagan's father. So she gave herself to prayer morning and night, going to the church morning and night to intercede for that son. And she prayed, and he, instead of becoming a Christian, he got into heresy. And he was such a charismatic personality that he not only got into heresy, but he led a whole group of people into the heresy with him. And she said, God, this isn't what I had in mind. But she didn't quit. That's what I do. I quit. She didn't quit. She just kept on praying. So then she prayed some more. And she said, I know what it'd be. It'd be a Christian wife and to start a Christian home. So she kept on praying. You know what happened? He had a, an affair and had a mistress and sired an illegitimate son. And she went back to God and said, no, this isn't what I had in mind either. I keep praying and it gets worse. It doesn't get better. But she didn't quit. And morning and night, she kept going back to that church and praying and seeking God for the salvation of that son. She would not let him go. Fifteen years. And he went from bad to worse. And finally, the preacher at the local church said, I cannot but believe that a child of those tears, God will move and save his soul someday. And she took that to heart. Well, she was driving that son crazy. So she, he was in North Africa, and he got ready, and he said, I'm going to Italy. And he told his mom the wrong time because she was following him to Italy to pray. Talk about perseverance. And he gave her the wrong time, and he left, and she was standing on the shore sobbing, and he went to Italy to get away from that praying mother that was driving him crazy while he lived for the devil. And do you know what happened? He got away from his mother, but he could not get away from those prayers. And he was sitting in a garden of a friend's house. And God said to him, arise and read. And he began to read Romans. And God saved his eternal soul. And it was Augustine whose impact has influenced the church since 330, the middle of the 300s. And I think God put that in my hands to say, do not give up in prayer. Pray. And if you don't get answers, pray. And if it gets worse, just keep on praying. Pray morning, noon, and night. Constant prayer was made. And if the situation is so difficult, so impossible, it doesn't matter if you can't even believe if God can answer. Just keep holding on. Just hold on and say, Jesus, I won't let you go. I'm going like a dog to a bone, and I won't let it go. Go be a pit bull for Jesus. And let's see if God couldn't begin to change families, marriages, homes, unconverted brothers, sisters, mothers, grandparents. Say, Jesus, who do you want me to put on my hit list for you? Where I begin to intercede on a daily basis, morning and night, and say, Lord, do something in me. Let me get out of this prison and begin to live for God. But then, Lord, let me begin to pray for those that I'm responsible for and not let go. That was a mother. That was a mother who said, I will not go. Let him go to hell. I am going to stand in the gap for his soul. And his impact still influences the church. What can God do with one mother? He can turn the world upside down. What can God do with one woman? He can turn the world upside down. But we don't begin to possess the land we give up too easily. I give up too easily. I have begun to give, begin to possess. 
I have begun to give, begin to possess. I think Jesus is looking today for some of us who will get set free. Let the angel come today and speak to our hearts personally. And then to hold on in intercession for those that God has laid on our hearts and not let God go and not get discouraged while God is working, but just keep on keeping on. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for your goodnesses to us. Thank you for the power and precious presence of the gospel. And Lord, I pray you might touch our hearts today and make us intercessors for God. Lord, we pray for the nation. God, give us a vision of who you are and what you want to give our, give our lives for so we don't spend 40 years on the backside of the desert, 40 years locked up in prison, coddling our sins, coddling our inadequacies, coddling our fears, but begin to say, oh, Holy Spirit, set me free. Uh, for Be strong and have a good courage. Be not afraid because I am with you. Now, Lord Jesus, let us believe that. Give us a capacity today, have great honesty and repentance and then tremendous faith and lay on our hearts this week those you want us to begin to intercede for and lay claims to so that in the next weeks we can say, God has moved in and set this one and this one free because I'm praying. In Jesus' name, amen.